Welcome to the Yorkshire Businesswoman podcast, showcasing the amazing individuals we have in our region. Hi, welcome to the Yorkshire Businesswoman podcast. Today I've got a guest with me. I've got Lubna Khan Salim. And I've just said Salim. Is it Salim or is it Salim? Um, either way, Salim, but you can pronounce it how you want. <laughs> yeah, and should I have said doctor? Um, technically, because I'm a surgeon, it's miss, but I oh. don't mind either. You can just call me Lubna. Yeah, okay. Lubna. <laughs> it's probably worth saying that it's the 17th of May today. I'm not sure when this episode is going to go out. It's 17th of May 2022. So Lubna is a cosmetic surgeon, a skin expert, founder of the business Time to Bloom, and she has a medical spa in Yorkshire called The Nook. So welcome, Lubna. Oh, lovely to meet you, Michelle. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Oh, lovely to meet you too. So you kind of do what you it says you do on the tin in terms of skin and aesthetics, but I guess you haven't always been in that, and I know you haven't I've done the research. So do you want to take us back to school and how you started and how you got into the medical profession? Sure. Um, so medicine actually wasn't my first degree. Um, I did a degree prior to um, starting medicine and I've always really been into sort of international development and um, politics in a way and um, I spent quite a lot of time working abroad for a number of um, international charities. Um, and whilst I was working in Ethiopia, um, I was working with quite a few uh, medics. I don't have any one medical in my family at all um, and so I was working with quite a few doctors and I just thought wow what a wonderful career you can travel with it you can help people um, and so I ended up applying for medical school whilst I was in Ethiopia at the International um, um, British Consulate. Um, ended up getting into a graduate program in London and um, did my medical degree and I think because my brain works in like two ways, because I'm dyslexic, I've always had a really artistic side as well as being sort of like really a bit of a science geek. And so for me, when I was doing my training, I did one of my um, sort of training um, stints in plastic surgery. And I just loved it because you're sort of hands on, you're using your hands and you're also being very creative in terms of thinking about scar placement and symmetry and you know a lot of it goes in terms of your artistry to be able to deal with a lot of the reconstructions and so plastic surgery was always what I was going to go into and so um, I started my sort of like did medical school, I did my foundation training, surgical training and then I got into um, a really highly competitive plastic surgery training and so that's what um, I've always had a passion for. Um, and then roll forward to 2016, um, I ended up with a job in up here in, in Yorkshire in Hull. I worked at Castle Hill and the whole Royal Infirmary, which I loved. Um, but then I ended up having um, my first daughter. And after many years of struggle in terms of fertility, um, you know, I ended up having Ava. Fortunately, she was like, you know, she's like the best thing that I ever did. And when you become a parent for the first time, you know, your whole world gets rocked and turned upside down. And just having um, suddenly a baby in my arms just changed my whole perspective because you go from, I went from being a very gung-ho, very ambitious um, surgeon to then being a mother. And after, I, after maternity leave, going back to the NHS, just that whole um, struggle between, you know, you wanting to be the best 
doctor and you want to be at work like you don't have a family but equally when you have a, a child you want to be a mum like you don't have to work and it's very hard to find that balance between and because we've moved up to Yorkshire we don't have any family nearby you know it was a real struggle and I really felt myself really struggling with um, enjoying the passion for my job anymore because I really wanted to be the mum that I always wanted to and after the struggle of um, trying to have Ava you know and also I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit and so at some point I always knew that I'd want to put my stamp on something in terms of a business so I thought let's, why not take a leap of faith and and start something for myself and so the little sort of like um seed of an idea for time to bloom was born during maternity leave and I um, ended up fulfilling it and so this is where I am today great stuff so I have done my background and I've been reading about you and I think you'll probably agree with me that you're working in quite a crowded market in terms of aesthetics um but what what I have read that I really liked reading was how you've taken a different approach to skincare and, and aesthetics and um you talk about beauty from the inside um inside first um and also what redefining what beauty is. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the idea of Time to Bloom came about because myself, I'm in my 40s. Um, when I was younger, I suffered from hormonal acne during pregnancy. I ended up with rosacea. So, you know, you can say I've got skin in the game. Like, you know, I really do understand I am my target market in terms of beauty and the way sort of like things are. And I just felt that, you know, from my perspective as a plastic surgeon, when I look at the market and I look at the way beauty products are sold, the way aesthetic products are targeted, you know, it's all to the wrong audience. You know, I think there's sort of like so much out there which is targeted towards the wrong group. And I didn't feel there was much in terms of when I look at the clinics and, you know, I guess what you, like you said, a crowded market that was sort of aimed at the right people. And I felt really I wanted to create something that was aimed towards women who were sort of like 30, 35, 40 plus, heading towards that perimenopause, menopause stage. And, you know, a safe haven that you felt that it was a comfortable environment to be able to talk about all these products. Because whenever I have interactions with people and I mention that I'm a plastic surgeon, everybody, whether you're a sort of soap and water type of woman or whether you're, you know, kind of spend thousands at Space NK or Harvey Nicks every month, you know, everybody's got an interest. And, you know, whether there's often a lot of, um, you know, people get a bit shy to want to talk about it or to ask about it, but everyone's interested. And um, and I felt like, you know, it'd be nice to create something where people felt comfortable to be able to talk about it and explore it without feeling the pressure. Um, and the whole inside-out concept for me, I think it's so important. So I feel like the way we feel about ourselves and beauty is very much part of our wellness. And wellness is like a... a something that sort of lots of brands have taken on and many people pay lip service to but I truly do feel that our well-being and our wellness is tied up in how we feel about ourselves and when you feel good on the inside I feel you look good on the outside and I think that goes beyond just the aesthetics in terms of 
you know, the way your, you know, the size of your lips or, the, you know, your size of your cheeks. I think it goes beyond that. It's to do with, like, how, you know, comfortable you are in your own skin. And when you've got, you know, a good complexion, when you feel like your skin is healthy, when you're feeling healthy, it all marries together in terms of how you how you um, hold yourself. And, you know, when you have a good haircut or if you're wearing an outfit that really, you know, makes you feel 10 out of 10, that can be the same for how you feel about your looks. And I think, you know, there's something there in terms of the rebranding of aesthetics mm. yeah and and just um we were kind of chatting before we started recording and um you were saying that you you even say no to to a lot of clients because you don't want them to go too far or you don't think that that a particular treatment is right for them yeah i think and, um you know i think no is probably the the best tool that i can use because i think a lot of people are searching for something whether it's they're interested in Botox or they're interested in fillers. There's something that they're seeking, and they, and for a lot of my clients, you know, they've been looking for a long time for something to fill that, fill, fulfill something about how they're feeling about themselves. And you know, I feel like it as a doctor, it's my responsibility to be able to say yes, this would be appropriate for you, or no, you know, this is too much. And I think the difference between coming from a hospital background where you don't really you know in the NHS you're not dealing really with the finances or the money you know there's no transaction there whereas when you're running the business and obviously I'm trying to run a business here it is transactional and money is involved but I really want to put the ethics above the financial remuneration of what I'm doing because I think it's really important to be able to be that safety net for somebody for some you know I think people just need to sometimes either just hear you're beautiful the way you are and you really don't need anything. And it, sometimes it is as simple as having a conversation as that and somebody, for someone to say, actually, it's normal to have that or it's normal, you know, little bumps and asymmetries that we have in our faces. Sometimes the way the beauty industry is set up and Instagram and social media, you know, everything looks perfect. People's skin looks perfect on filters or people's appearances look perfect. And so sometimes when we look at ourselves, you can end up thinking, that you're less than perfect and so what I really want to you know say to people is that you know Botox and fillers they're all like cherry on top but you know let's get you sorted first in terms of your health and wellness and how you feel about yourself. Mm. And you mentioned um, perimenopause and menopause just briefly earlier and I noticed on your um, your website that you've got treatments for um, hair loss and, and excessive sweating which are two symptoms of of the menopause that loads of women don't talk about. Yeah, it's um, what's been really lovely, I guess, like this year and the last sort of like year, we are slowly starting to talk more about the menopause and the perimenopause. And it's lovely with the Davina McCall um, documentaries, Louise Newsom, all the things that are coming out in publications. It's so lovely that we're starting to, you know, shine a light on this really, really, really important. It's not a women's health issue. It's a societal issue. You know, it affects everybody. And half the, if you think about it, half the world will be going through the perimenopause and menopause at some stage. So it's really important. And with the symptoms and things, you know, what I, I think the reason that I've sort of like, gone down this demographic and my target market is because everybody's come to see me they're all suffering in some way and often they're not realizing that it is down to the perimenopause or the menopause and so it's nice to be able to in my offerings be able to offer solutions towards symptoms you know there's so many symptoms um of the perimenopause and you know it affects every single part of us and i, I love um louise newsom was talking recently on a 
podcast I listened to and she was saying that, you know, it's a shame really with the menopause, we need to rebrand it because it simply is a female hormone deficiency. And we've been, you know, for years and years and years, it's been a taboo or it's been, you know, people feel embarrassed to talk about it. But simply, you know, it's a lacking in some hormones. And when you think about the effect that the deficit in these hormones have on our bodies as women, it affects every single system, system. So top to bottom, your brain, you know, it affects your kidneys, your heart, your bones, everything. So you do need to top up or find some solution to the deficiency in those hormones. So, you know, I think... That's the way we need to think about it. And the skin stuff, you know, it affects your skin. You know, during, there's been a recent study, and I found this fascinating. They compared a group of women who were on HRT and a group of women who weren't. The women who weren't taking any hormone replacement, they aged eight years within six months. So that just shows the dramatic aging that women go through during the menopause. So if there are solutions, you know, why not use them? I, I can vouch for that. I mean, I am actually under the Newsom Clinic, um, uh, I'm a, I think she's absolutely fabulous, Newsom. Yeah. And um, and I've been on HRT for about a year now, and I definitely noticed a difference in the kind of plumpness of my skin. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're talking about women, but um, it's not just women that suffer from that whole social media pressure and stuff. Do you get men approach you, or are you strictly a women-only clinic? No, I, I treat men as well. I get, um, you know, increasingly lots of men. Because like you say, there is a lot of pressure on social media to look a certain way. And with sort of like the whole Zoom phase thing, everyone's been on Zoom. And, you know, even as I'm talking to you, you know, I'm seeing myself reflected back. And so it's natural to, you know, <laughs> obsess over the way you're looking. And, you know, everyone seems to be obsessed with like the lower third of their face and the turkey neck and the jowling. And, um, yeah, I get a lot of men interested as well because you know beauty is universal and um lots of men feel the pressure as well with um needing to look a certain way and we are all aging you know aging is a privilege but we're all living longer and you know i think a lot of what i do is about trying to not only is it about adding years to your life but about adding life to your years and living your best life and you know no one wants to go into old age living in you know with severe pain or chronic pain or with chronic diseases and so you know I'm really trying to create something which is about your health as well and having lifelong um, healthy choices and the ability to live your best life really. Mm. Yeah good um, I, I read a piece earlier when I was looking into you about um, advice that you were giving around I think it was five top tips um, around what you could do to help with, with skincare that, that actually didn't cost a lot, which, again, I thought was really nice, given that you've got a lovely medical spa and a, a long list of treatments, but you're giving this advice for free. If you had to pick one piece of advice that was kind of either low cost or zero cost to a woman in her 40s, 50s, 60s, what would that be? Um Oh, that's a really difficult one. I think in terms of if it was that particularly around skin, I would say your best friend, if you're going to invest in anything skincare-wise, it's got to be your SPF, so your sun protection, because 90% of aging is actually down to UV damage. So anything you can do to protect your skin, your skin from the sun is your, going to be your best friend for life. And when you're in your 80s, you'll look back and thank me, because... Um, 
you know, it's the U, you've got two types of UV rays, UVA and UVB. UVB is the burning rays that we're used to when it's a hot day, when we're on holiday. But it's actually the UVA rays, which are the aging rays, which are with us all the time. So as I'm sitting here in my clinic, light is penetrating through the windows when we're driving, when we're out and about. So if you're going to invest in any skincare, um, and nowadays there's no excuse because there are so many beautiful brands that are, you know, don't have to be the most expensive. There are so many ranges, and it's just about finding a formula that works for you. And to wear it 365 days a year is going to be your, your best best friend for your skin. Great. Good. Um, I also noticed that you're part of the 1% for the planet um, movement, which is all about reducing plastic waste. Um, I, I'm big into all this stuff. I love what Mary Portas says about the kindness economy, which is about protecting people, planet and, and property. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I love Mary Portas. Yeah. So how, in your business, how do you go about reducing plastic waste? What does that, how does that translate to a business like yours? Um, it's, it's a really good question, actually, and it's, and it's quite a difficult one. One thing that I've really looked into when it comes to, um, for example, brands that I use or endorse is really about the packaging. There's so much plastic and waste within like the beauty industry itself, if you think about the packaging. And what I've really been trying to look into is brands or, you know, eventually creating something which uses the least packaging possible. So a lot of the brands that I sort of like try and partner with, you know, my top questions are always about do they do refills, you know, or do they use sort of like pre used plastics um have, you know in terms of their packaging is there a recycling element to it so things like that and also within the within the clinic myself you know i try and um reconscious of like plastic waste and also when it comes to things like cleansing and stuff like that you know using um i don't use wipes or anything like that you know i try to use everything that's as natural as possible and things that i can reuse repurpose or refill um but yeah it's something that i'm working on all the time because it's so difficult i mean you know particularly with beauty when you think about all the luxury packaging it always comes in the biggest boxes the big sort of like you know you get more more packaging than you do off the actual product <laughs> and i think we're so used to seeing that but there's such a waste there so it's something that i'm really conscious of and, and working on yeah i mean i i personally just switched from one brand to another well it's been gradual over about probably about 24 months and you know I was wedded to this one brand but the, everything comes in the most elaborate packaging with paper and all sorts of stuff and you think oh gosh so I've just moved to a more ethical brand that yeah that you can get refills from and actually I prefer the product I don't know if that's psychological yeah but I mean you know it is I mean really I always say I mean, I'm part and parcel of the beauty industry, but a lot of it, there's so much hype over substance. You know, I'm really conscious of when I'm recommending products, for example, that I like everything to have, like, because I'm coming from a medical background, you know, proper clinical research behind it, that they actually, the actives do what they say. Because a lot of the beauty industry, a lot of the big companies, you know, they do their own in-house testing. And so, you know, really, are you getting what they're promising? You know, and there's very little regulation around products. You know, the fact that something's dermatologically tested just means that it's been put onto somebody's skin. I mean, there's no real regulation or license behind that or anything. So it's really difficult. And, you know, I'm I'm a sucker myself for beautiful packaging. You know, you go into somewhere like um, Space NK and it's, you know, a candy shop for adults, isn't it? It's like, you know, you get 
suckered into all these things. But I must say, a lot of the um, skin issues that I see from people who are coming in is often because they're using too many products, too much of the wrong thing. And, you know, so that, I think that's the issue there. So for me, it's really about refining your skin routine down to what you actually need it doesn't have to be the most expensive product you can you can curate a really lovely skin routine with something you know from products that are like from boots or super drug it doesn't have to be the most expensive and I think that's the thing I think that's my real bugbear I think as women like you know we've been suckered down this sort of like power thinking that we need the most expensive brands and the most expensive products that you know so and so is using off like the tv or hollywood and it's going to be the solution to our skin but it's often not so yeah well that kind of brings me on to me me kind of final question around the business and and i was really pleased to read earlier that you committed to becoming a b corp organization and funnily enough you are the second yorkshire businesswoman that i've had on the podcast um, Sarah from Full Circle Funerals is also a B Corp. Yeah. And, uh, and we've only recorded about seven episodes, so it's like two out of seven is pretty, you know, that's pretty good and it's something to shout about. So for our listeners that don't understand B Corp, do you want to just explain where you're at with that? Yeah, so I'm still going through the process at the moment. So B Corp is a benchmarking um, process to say that your business stands for like we said earlier the three p's so people planet and profits last and i really the reason i've really been drawn to it i just think it's fantastic so i think i've got two daughters now and albeit that they're four and a baby i just think like in the future this is what our children are going to be looking for they're going to want to work for companies which stand for ethics above just the profits because we all know like all the big companies that don't pay their taxes or just don't do their due diligence and don't treat their workers right but I really wanted you know yes my business is really small but what I really wanted to stand for is this ethical um ethical brand name that people know that when they go to the advice is trusted and that you know we're thinking more about the community the planet before you know just thinking about the bottom mm. line in terms of profit um so at the moment I go through the so it's quite a rigorous um process to go through in terms of you know the way your business is run people that you partner with what you do but yeah i just think the b corp movement is really exciting and yeah. every time i see a brand that's sort of gone through it and is endorsed by it it really excites me so i think this is the way business should be going and you know i have to thank like for example like mary porters for yeah highlighting it because like you know like she says in her book you know with corporate business has gone too far down the other way in terms of putting profit above everything and we just see the the effect of that on big business so i think you know you know all hail to the small businesses like you say and particularly like you know the fact that Yorkshire as well is leading the leading the way in that as well yeah good well if you've not met Sarah from Full Circle you probably should meet her so I'll leave that one later so we got to the point in the podcast where I'm now going to ask you some questions about Yorkshire and I just want to say at this point that you're not a a born Yorkshire girl are you I'm not at all no I've been here for um Gosh, we've moved up here in 2016. So, um, but yeah, we we love it. My my two daughters now are Yorkshire born and bred, and um, yeah, it's been a f- fantastic move from London to be up here. We absolutely love it. Brilliant. So, um, I'm going to ask you firstly, what because it's it's fairly recent. What's your first Yorkshire memory? 
first Yorkshire memory. So for me, um, so I um, so got my job in Hull and I remember driving up with my um, car full of all my, you know, belongings. So I left my husband, bless him, in London. And um, so, you know, we were going to, the goal was to move up to Hull for the first six months, do some house hunting, and then find somewhere to to live up here. So I remember driving myself, and I've still got a photo on my um, phone from when I was driving up in 2016 across the Humber Bridge. And the Humber Bridge, I just absolutely love it. I just think as a structure, something about the way my brain works. I love lines and and symmetry and order, and um, I just love the Humber Bridge. I think it's beautiful, and that's one of my first memories, sort of like driving across the Humber Bridge with my car jam packed, you know with trepidation thinking about starting my um, my job on the Monday um, and what it was going to be like so you know I've done everything had done everything my training and um, in London so what it's going to be like moving up to Yorkshire and um, yeah so driving across the Humber Bridge towards my my new I, life. I know exactly what you mean I mean I, I've got really fond memories of Hull because I went to university there and that's where I met my husband so we're yeah I'll, I'll agree with you on the bridge um I believe you've relocated somewhere else, though. You, your business is in Selby, isn't it? That's right, yeah, just outside Selby. Yeah. Okay, so if you were to choose a favourite pub in Yorkshire, which pub would that be? Oh, favourite pub. Um, I, I'd have to say, so during lockdown, um, you know, one thing that I have to say was positive about lockdown because we're from London, when we moved up to Yorkshire, you know, every weekend we're, we're just so used to, like, you know, going out and about, so exploring Leeds, exploring York, exploring all the coastline. And what lockdown did for us was enable us to actually appreciate our local community, like all the walks, the people and the pubs. And there's a pub around the corner to us called um, on Fox Lane called The Fox. And, you know, it was really lovely. During lockdown, they were doing Fox in a Box. So you could order your like you know pub lunches or your Sunday lunches and things, and um, you know when it we had um, a lockdown lock in once when it was like you know we had a snowy day and it, neither of us could go to work and Ava was a baby at the time and um, we've got fun memories of that place so I'd have to say local to me the Fox um, is one of my like my fond fond places to to meet up with people. Brilliant. Um, and finally, what is your favourite shop in Yorkshire? My favourite shop? Oh, that's a really You mentioned one. Space NK, and I love Space NK in Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that's like a national chain. I think yeah, I have yeah, to yeah. sort of like, let me, let yeah, me try and local. support a local business, yeah. Um, so I'm based just at, um, outside of um, Selby, and... Um, there's a really lovely little boutique. It's called Boutique, so it's B-O-O-T-E-E-K. And I can't remember the girl's name who runs it. She's really, really sweet. And um, I've ha- actually found... So I'm a London girl. I'm so used to going back to London. And, like, you know, I know all the places to shop and, like, you know, all the big names and things like that. So it's really pleasant to pop into Selby and, and get into Boutique. And she always has some, like, really, like, beautiful, like, just sort of, like, individual, like, dresses or jackets or coats and things like that. So, yeah, a local business to me. Fabulous. Well, Lubna, you've been a really lovely guest. It's been such an interesting conversation. Thank you very much for joining me today. And I Aww. hope to see you at one of the Yorkshire Businesswoman events. Definitely. We'll meet up at some point. So thank you so much for inviting me on. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Yorkshire Businesswoman podcast. 
Brought to you by Topic UK Magazine and Yorkshire Businesswoman Magazine.